but everything I'm picking up about you is all the signs of uh, of a Bitcoin maximally. So you definitely uh, <laughs> oh, shots fired. Welcome to the African Tech Roundup, episode 130. This is where we round up the most important tech, digital, and innovation highlights from across the African continent. My name is Andile Masugu, and standing in for my regular co-host, Musa Kalenga, is good friend of the show, the crypto proponent, <laughs> that is Simon Dingle. Welcome back, Simon. Hey, Andile. Thanks for uh, having me back on short notice, but I'm glad we made it work out. Dude, you are saving the day. That's what you're doing right now. Thank you so much for, for being on the show. I'm sure our listeners won't mind. Um, it's always a highly rated episode when you roll in. Okay, so, well, that's yeah. good to hear. Let's just say I miss Musa, but uh, we'll be okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, joining us from Nairobi, Kenya, on the line this, <laughs> for this episode is a certain Michael Kimani. Welcome, Michael. Thanks, Sandile. I'm glad you finally got to do this. <laughs> We've been talking about it. We've been back and forth on social media. We're yet to meet in person, but this is long overdue regardless, yeah? Absolutely. Let's make it happen. Yes, let's make it happen. So for the purposes of uh, listeners of the show who aren't familiar with your work, uh, I've decided to introduce you in a fun way. I'm uh, and In front of me is your Twitter bio, uh, Michael Kimani. Uh, the man may be followed at PESA underscore Africa. That's at PESA underscore Africa. You go by blockchain catalyst, crypto analyst, strong opinions, views my own, why so serious? So let's unpack. Blockchain catalyst, explain. So blockchain catalyst is something I picked up from a couple of friends I work with who are in the learning uh, design space. So they design learning experiences. And basically they have this way of categorizing people who uh, like thinkers. So a blockchain catalyst is someone who... Uh, has high sense making, so it makes uh, sense for people on what might be happening in the blockchain space for people. And then uh, there are also people who who are also practitioners. Yeah, so not only are they making sense for people, they are also involved in the space and they are making things happen within the blockchain context. So I'm a blockchain catalyst in that sense. And Simon, being a crypto analyst almost implies that cryptocurrency is a formal asset class. Is that fair to say? Well, it's not a formal asset class. Um, you know, in, in my view, it's a, it's a brand new asset class that's yet to be uh, accurately defined by any regulator anywhere in the world. Um, but, but yeah, it would be a stretch to call it formal. <laughs> <laughs> and so, Michael, given that, what, what do you mean when you call yourself a crypto analyst? I think I mean uh, just uh, in terms of uh, like an analyst for that particular industry because cryptocurrencies are... They're almost like their own thing, you know. They have their own subculture, so it's it warrants having like someone who can uh, track that particular industry, whether it's for an investment bank, whether it's for a government, you know. So in some form of way, uh, but I think also I mean that in the sense of cryptocurrency assets, like a lot of these assets are they're moving up and down in price. Uh, they're projects that are exploring opportunities, so you can also analyze that and try and make sense for other people and show them what's going on with these assets, what what is a fair valuation, is this a scam or not, you know. So in that sense as well, I guess. Okay. Yeah. And then strong opinions, I suppose you wouldn't be on the show unless you had them, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> oh my Our God. Our preference is to have people with like um, 
very specific points of view, perspectives that are worth scaling and that kind of thing. So you definitely fit the bill as far as that's concerned. And then views my own. You know, Simon, the interesting thing about your Twitter bio is that um, it's conspicuously absent. <laughs> well, so um, it's I'm, interesting to me. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, uh, you know, who else's views would they be? I'm, <laughs> uh, I'm, I think, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I run my own company. Um, I, I've in the fintech space. I've I've worked for a few startups. One of them is now called Luno. It, it was still called Bitex when I left the company. Um, I've worked with Twenty Two Seven and Curve. Um, none of the startups I've ever worked with have had a problem with me voicing my opinion on social media. I think it's quite obvious to anybody that I don't speak for the company itself. And um, and now I've you know I, I run my own company, so um, so yeah, I, I think my opinions have always been my own. I, I always find it a bit curious when people, or rather, people's employers feel like they need to add that to their Twitter bio. I'm not sure who else's opinions they think it might be, but <laughs> given that, Michael, why do you have views my own? On your Twitter bio, <laughs> have you ever, you know, have you ever received clapback so. <laughs> that uh, required you to <laughs> clarify that point? No, I think Simon is right. I, from what he said, I, d- I don't exactly see why I have it there, but it's something I see people uh, <laughs> who are employed for someone put there. So it just looks cool. <laughs> it just felt cool. <laughs> a lot of employers do do require it, and I think um, if you work for a, a company that uh, that is in any way connected to the th- sort of things you're speaking about on Twitter. It's probably best to play it safe, which is not a concept <laughs> I'm familiar with. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you're not, Simon, not in the least. But yeah, Michael, thanks for letting me drag you a little bit there. Uh, after all, you have on your Twitter bio, why so serious? So gentlemen, we're all introduced. Uh, perhaps this is a good time for me to let our listeners know what it is we'll be uh, delving into. And I'm taking full advantage of the sort of brain capital I've amassed for this show to drill down on a single question, which incidentally is the title of a recent BBC News piece uh, I I penned entitled, Will Facebook's Digital Money Libra Be Good for Africa? It's a really loaded question. I think it's going to take us in in many interesting directions. Uh, But chaps, before we delve into what is, I think, the most publicized happening within digital money in a really long time. Before we dive into all that, let's start light. Let's break the ice. I want to find out what's uh, what's trending in your lives as far as something that is giving you life as far as the internet, guys. What's What are you vibing with on the internet? I don't care whether it's a meme, a hashtag, a trend, an app, a website, a resource, something that's coming to you via the internet that's really just, you know, piquing your interest. So yeah, Michael, what's uh, what's trending for you in that regard? I, I think sometimes I'm guilty of uh, getting too absorbed in my work. So every once in a while, I'll run into like an interesting link that, like you said, like gives me life, you know, and I, I don't feel like uh, <laughs> like I'm this massive uh, uh, information consuming machine, you know, always on, on Twitter yeah. and whatever. So I came across a uh, an interesting vlogger in Nairobi. Uh, she does. She has a show called Lazy Natural. So she does a uh, content about how to uh, to maintain your hair using natural products, how to maintain your natural hair as well. And she what? Did, yeah. That is unexpected. <laughs> I did not see that coming. And then it's mixed in with some comedy and some live tips, you know. So this week she did a show, a reaction video, and. A reaction video is something that I've come to discover recently, <laughs> uh, and and it's pretty much her looking at another video and uh, and having a real a real life reaction to to a video she's watching, 
of another vlogger who's in the hair space, yeah. So, she, so the other vlogger kind of burnt her 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 hair with bleach, and then she's <laughs> reacting to this video, you know. Um, so that made that made my week. That was good to see. It sounds so fun. I have to check that out. It, it kind of sounds similar to uh, another vlogger I enjoy from the US. She's Kenyan, as it happens. Evelyn from the internet. I don't know if you know her. But again, it, it one of my guilty pleasures. Um, I mean, it's, she's so clearly not for me uh, as far as like audience profile goes, but <laughs> I can't help it. But uh, check it from time to time to see what she's vibing with. So, okay. So fair enough. That's uh, quite unexpected, quite fun. Uh, I will definitely be checking that out. And we'll be putting all the things we talk about in this section. <laughs> in our resources so if someone is new to the show they'll be so confused when they see this in our resource section <laughs> so simon what's what are you vibing with man mm, uh, i i spend most of my time being frightened on the internet at the moment <laughs> i just find the, you the afraid hi- the hyperpolarization of of uh, online discussions is is quite scary at the moment i've also been trying to trim my social media interaction so i Deleted Facebook and Instagram off of my phone. The only social network I still really engage with is uh, is Twitter. But if I had to choose something that that sparks joy, um, I, I recently discovered the podcast um, by John Green named The Anthropocene Reviewed. Uh, my business partner Sam introduced me to it, and uh, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, with John Green. He's authored a few books, including um, uh, A Fault in Our Stars. Sorry, that was one of his books. But he um, he wait, he based- you mean the movie? So uh, yeah, the movie was made from his book. But but anyway, John John ah. Green is perhaps the finest writer alive in the 21st century. His writing is just extraordinary. And in the Anthropocene Reviewed, he takes various um, components of the Anthropocene. So everything from movies to bubblegum to Tetris to um, you name it. And he reviews them out of five stars. It's funny. It's poignant. It's beautifully written. And um I don't, podcasts are where I just find the best discussions and 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 where I I redeem some hope in our species because social media detracts from it. <laughs> Firstly, if you decide to leave Twitter, I mean, you need to give the world notice, Simon. Okay, uh, I don't think you, I don't think anybody would like really a, care that much. Indeed, listen, you'll have to give us a month or something to sort of you know <laughs> prepare ourselves. Number one, number two, <laughs> number two, you're very entertaining to follow, Simon. To be in all honesty, oh, thank you. But then the other thing is something you pick on, and I. I and I, I don't want to dwell too much on it because we've got so much to talk about. But how does one solve for the polarization you're talking about? Do you ensure that your Twitter feed is like, you know, well curated so that you're getting, you know, extreme views that you don't necessarily hold, but that you sort of put yourself in a position to understand the world better? Is it traveling? Is it ensuring that your your friendship circles wide. Michael, you can chip in here too. Like, how do you solve for making sure that you aren't living in a bubble and, you know, totally oblivious to the well-being of other people or to the interests of other people? Like, how do you solve for that? To be honest, not much thought goes into my Twitter feed at all. Um, I went through an yeah. exercise a few years ago where I unfollowed everybody because I just had too many people on Twitter, it felt like. So I went down to zero and then I started refollowing people. And man, I, I definitely lost some friends through that exercise. People do not like it when they unfollow you. But now it hurts, Twitter, Simon. It Twitter, hurts. Twitter just feels like a fire hose of information for me right now. I don't spend much time thinking about it, to be honest. Um, I don't do much curation. But but one thing that interests me about Twitter is I was listening to an interview with Jack Dorsey, who, of course, is the CEO of Twitter a while ago. 
And he said that he doesn't view Twitter as a social network. Facebook, for example, is a social network where you connect with other people. He said he views Twitter as an interest network. And I found that quite interesting because if I think about it, the people I have on Facebook are all friends or family or somebody I went to school with and haven't seen for 15 years who somehow thinks yeah. I care about pictures of his children. But anyway, um, Twitter, Twitter, on the other hand, is somewhere where I connect with my interests. And so, yes, definitely I'm in, submerged in some filter bubbles. Um, I'm definitely deep into the crypto Twitter uh, filter bubble. Uh, so you're part of that, the problem, basically. Uh, yes, I'm definitely part of the problem. But, but I also... Um, you know, it, it, it's very much a do as I say, not as I do thing. But I, I like to think I don't take Twitter too seriously. So uh, I've, yeah. I've, I've trimmed down the time I spend on it. It's the, it's the only social network app I allowed to stay on my phone. I deleted all the others because, um, you know, if you just take cognizance of your emotional, um, you know, what, what happens to your emotions while you're on social media, um, I just found it a net negative. Like I, I, I didn't go to Facebook and then feel happy. Facebook's algorithms have, have learned that optimum engagement comes from somebody who's outraged. So it doesn't bring you stuff that makes you happy. It doesn't make you bring you stuff that makes you sad even um, or that you love. It just brings you stuff that will make you angry because it knows that you make will you engage react, more. Actually. You'll comment more. You'll, yeah, so, so you know what, yeah. F Facebook. And, <laughs> and, and, and I can tolerate Twitter, but I'm trying to take it less seriously. I think for me, it really depends on which part of, of Twitter you're on. Because Twitter, I think there's a lot of different stuff happening. Sometimes you you click on something and end up on a, on a, on a timeline with uh, pornography, you know, and I'm like, wow, there's such a world in, in Twitter, you know. So I think how, how I manage that is just by by curating like what I want to see, you know. So for me, it's, it's like a micro learning tool, you know. I just try and control what is coming through my timeline because I know it's, it's something that... Uh, like I'm using it to learn. So it's a very specific tool for a very specific task. That's how I use Twitter. But in terms of the, like the polarization of the, in, of the internet and Twitter and social media, I think it's, it's representative of human beings. Like I'm really not surprised by some of the stuff that, that's coming on online. I think it probably represents some underlying issues that already existed in the real world. It's only that right now, you can have Africans and Russians and, and Kenyans and, and Americans on the same platform. So all, all of a sudden, this, this sort of biases that people may have, maybe if, if it's over color, over, over uh, opinions or whatever, they just come out. It's amplified. Yeah, by, we're by bound in our brokenness. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like looking so in the I, mirror I definitely, for me. I definitely buy into that school of thought. Um, I'm not one of those people who believes in the inherent goodness of humanity. I think we're pretty much broken. And I think the internet does nothing but mirror our, our brokenness. And, and that's not to say I'm fatalist about it. But um, I think we do need to be conscious about if and when we are part of perpetuating polarization and to what extent we should solve for making sure we're not ourselves making the world worse than it is. I'm with you. All right, fellas, listen, thank you for, for letting me into, you know, what's trending in your world, what's bringing you joy via the internet, aka what is bringing you life. So let's uh, let's jump into what we're here to do, folks, which is to discuss what I believe to be one of the most significant things to happen within the digital money space in a very long time. Now, if you've been living under a rock, let me clue you in. From early next year, Facebook intends to let its 2 billion odd users remember that more than 139 million of those users are right here in Africa. Now, they're planning to let their users make digital payments through Facebook apps using a new cryptocurrency called Libra, which 
Facebook, of course, is at pains to explain isn't a Facebook innovation. This is a Libra Association innovation, which, of course, Facebook is a part of, but not behind or backing. The bottom line is there could be profound implications for our continent should this development come online and become a mainstream part of our lives. Africa, of course, receives a huge amount of remittances. We're, as a continent, one of the least banked regions in the world. Michael, we'll start with you. You've written a pretty provocative blog post entitled Five Reasons Why Facebook's New Cryptocurrency Libra is Bad News for Africa. Tell me why you feel that way. I think for me, it's really about the timing uh, of, of events, like what's happening around the world. Uh, between different countries and technology and politics. And then there's this also, this narrative of Africa rising, you know, where where all of a sudden there's this massive opportunity for Africa to to completely reinvent itself, almost like, like China did about 20 years ago, uh, maybe Southeast Asia as well. So I think we kind of have to start thinking deeper about some of the issues we face, especially if we are as ambitious as we claim. So that that was really the the feeling that I had when I was writing uh, when I was writing this. So I'm going to press you to be specific because you use a very strong term, um, digital colonization by proxy. You believe that's what Libra coin would represent if it became a mainstream reality. I don't know how much people realize that on the financial system that we use, we're really dependent on a financial system that is built on someone else's currency. Yeah, and this is something that affects even how we do, do business within Africa, between African countries, and also between uh, African countries and other nations outside the continent. We, we, we do live somehow in some currency colonization already. And what's happening is as we're transitioning into a world where currencies are going digital and we are spending a lot of time online and we're spending a lot of time on these uh, digital networks, the nature of currency itself is transforming. And we kind of need to look at what exists right now and then ask ourselves, how can we make sure this doesn't happen in the virtual future that you're headed for? So I think digital colonization is, is a word that's that's becoming really popular. And I felt it was appropriate. It, it would strike a nerve. Yeah. So, Simon, I mean, I introduced you as a cryptocurrency proponent. I think it's more accurate to call you a decentralized digital currency proponent because of what I know you to believe as being key to how currency should work in order to deliver on, quote-unquote, financial inclusion for all. So give me a sense of whether I'm right about my sense of self-correction here. And if so, how do you see Libra playing to your sort of preferred ideals for digital money or to what extent it works against that? I don't view Libra as a cryptocurrency Um because when the world was introduced to cryptocurrency, it was introduced to Bitcoin. And core to Bitcoin is the decentralization of the consensus algorithms. And so without that, you, you're not really dealing with a cryptocurrency. You're just dealing with a, a digital currency. Um, so so Libra is, is sort of more in the camp of, you know, e-bucks and loyalty points at an airline than, <laughs> than a cryptocurrency as such to me. But I do find it interesting. E-bucks. Okay, firstly, e-bucks is like a loyalty program here in South Africa. Which... 
But yeah, so, so to call it a digital currency. Simon, you're so <laughs> yeah, my word, but, but, bro. But I do think it. But wait, can I push back on the on the first thing okay. you said? Isn't it a cryptocurrency in as far as they've created a, their own blockchain, and of course they're going to, uh, as per their white paper, apply sort of best of breed. So no. sort of cryptography to no. ensuring it's safe. The nodes are centralized and there's a central uh, treasury and that's antithetical to, to cryptocurrency. Cryptocurrencies require distributed ledger. Um, to me, it's just that simple. Okay. Yes, it uses a blockchain. And I think the, if for people who don't understand how cryptocurrencies work, they think that the blockchain is everything. There are some blockchains or some cryptocurrencies rather that don't even use blockchain technology. They use alternatives um, like Tangle Networks or, or um, hash graphs, for example. So the fact that it uses a blockchain is neither here nor there. It's like saying, you know, your website uses a database. Well, yeah, sure. But that's not what defines it. So that Fair said, I, I do think that it's an interesting announcement. Um I mean, the the obvious point that hasn't I haven't seen discussed anywhere. I'm sure somebody's made the comparison, but to me, it's just obvious that Facebook is jealous of the success WeChat has had in China as an e-commerce platform. If you if mm-hmm. you if you're on WeChat or or you've been to China and seen how people interact with WeChat, uh, WeChat Wallet is 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 a very big play in the Chinese market in terms of how people pay each other and buy things. Um, and I I think commerce has been a holy grail for a lot of big tech companies in Silicon Valley. So we've seen Apple launch their first uh, credit card, um, coupling up with JP Morgan. Um, Google has had certain forays into finance. Um, and Facebook's is perhaps the most interesting, not not least of all because they have 1.2 billion users they can immediately onboard onto the onto the, the, the system. So on the one on the one hand, it's interesting for me to see how how Facebook is looking to to take a dominant sort of space in in finance and e-commerce in the same way that WeChat has. I also think that it may do a lot to educate people about the use of digital currencies and to improve mainstream trust in in how these things work. It may actually be positive in emerging markets. I, I tend to be an optimist, and I can imagine Libra being a positive thing. For example, um, you know there, there are a lot of remittance channels in South Africa that are exploited by banks, and we've got a lot of uh, of Africans that are you know forced to live in other countries and send money back home. And right now, they're just being abused and exploited by the current financial system. Uh, Libra might be a way for for Africans to remit money uh, in a very cost effective way. That could that could really be a positive thing for us. So, so I yeah. kind of look at it through that perspective. I, I don't, I don't see it as a threat to Bitcoin at all. Uh, Libra is nothing like Bitcoin. Yes, it uses a blockchain, but you know, I wear a T-shirt and so do you. That doesn't mean we're the same kind of people. You know, Libra might might well become a dominant medium of exchange in the digital space. I still think Bitcoin in that case would be a settlement layer. Um, in the week this was announced, though, Simon, uh, I noticed that you uh, took. What appeared to me as a rather sudden trip to the UK. And I know, of course, Luno <laughs> works out of the UK and you're a board member there. And I was thinking, hmm, Oh, no, I'm not on the board of I'm have on the board they, of Luno. Have they called a sudden meeting <laughs> to discuss? Oh, so, so just to set the record straight, uh, I exited Luno in 2015. I've had nothing to do with the company since then. Um, I'm still very good friends oh, with the founders. All right. But I'm, I'm definitely not on okay. the board. Um, I've, I've got nothing to do with Luna oh, right. um, outside of being. So I did actually oh, right. visit their, their um, London office while I was there just to see my friend Tim Stranix, who who's the founder of, of Bitex, which is now Luno. 
Um, but no, my, my and it just happened to be in the week uh, Facebook announced. Yeah, uh, it, just, uh, it was completely um, coincidence. I, I was there for a board meeting of my company, Invest Technology, um, which uh, which operates out of London. So. I mean, I, also, I'm being so sensationalist, like I, <laughs> yeah, I feel sorry. like an American. There's, there's, um, you know, also, uh, Libra wasn't a surprise. Um, we know that Facebook has been working on it for a long time, and they had been engaging with many other parties uh, globally. Um, they formed a sort of a consortium, as you alluded to, uh, to run the foundation. So we, we've been expecting Facebook to make this announcement for a very long time. Um, we've, we've known that they've been working on it for for ages. So, so no, complete coincidence, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> Simon references WeChat, Michael, and uh, something you and I have chatted about offline, which is something I'd want us to talk about now, which is the unprecedented opportunity for anyone who wields power influence over a network of any kind. So whether we're talking a mobile phone network, whether we're talking about a, a network of users, as in the case of, say, Uber or Spotify or even Google or you know, WeChat, for example, Alibaba, Amazon, whoever, we're at an unprecedented point in the history of the world where, frankly, you don't need to call yourself a bank, a financial institution, um, or even be regulated to operate in that capacity to wake up one morning as Facebook has clearly done, Facebook and their, you know, consortium partners have clearly done anything, and thought, hey, we could leverage our position here to, you know, our network to deliver, as they're putting it, financial inclusion for all, or as some sort of detractors are putting it, cash in big time. You know, comment on that, Michael. How, how, what's a healthy way to think about this? And I think in answering this question, maybe, you know, let us into some of the bets you're making as a, as an operator in this space, as a professional in this space, and as perhaps someone who's been in business within digital money. From Nairobi, when I look at what happened in Kenya, when, when Safaricom came here and Vodafone and they built out a, a cellular network, they were able to capture a lot of people on mobile phones to start using uh, this cellular network that they own, this sort of closed space where you can make phone calls, you can send SMSs. It's, it's, it's a really rich ecosystem, you know? And as soon as they added a wallet into that, into that cellular network, yeah, right now Safaricom has about 20 million people on this network. And as soon as they, they added a wallet into that network, then a lot more things became possible because within this network, not only could you call someone and talk to them, you could also maybe ask them if they're interested in buying something that you're selling. You could sell them goods and services. So the network ends up becoming a very rich ecosystem. It becomes almost like, a, like an economy. So this is what I see WeChat and, uh, and Facebook's and maybe even Opera, because Opera just raised $50 million for their payment business in Nigeria. And if you look yeah. at the number of people they have, they have close to 100 million people. And uh, they also have an inbuilt crypto wallet in their browser. So it seems we're in a much larger trend of this, this sort of networks that have a lot of people, maybe 100 million people, maybe 20 million people. And all of them are looking at how can we monetize this micro economy that we have. Yeah, so that's, that's the bigger trend. The interesting thing is that this is happening. This is something that has been happening in the blockchain space as well. So if you look at like the Bitcoin and the Ethereum and EOS, so these are also sort of uh, networks that are coming up, but they have a different philosophy. Yeah. So they are not like Facebook because they are not owned by, by a company. Yeah. These networks are sort of owned by people who own tokens in these networks. 
and they are also trying to do what Facebook is doing. We, we are living at a time when we are we are experiencing different philosophies on building virtual networks and virtual economies. So that's that's the other mega trend that's taking place right now. So Simon, in the context of what Michael has said, when you say you don't see Libra as a threat to Bitcoin, define what a threat to Bitcoin might look like then. It's an interesting question. You know, I I sort of been working with Bitcoin since 2011 and I'm I'm very aware of of cognitive um, biases and and um, you know how how we 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 tend to like we were talking about filter bubbles earlier we we have confirmation biases and we're always looking to back ourselves up and so since 2011 I've always found tried to find reasons why Bitcoin would fail whether they're security risks or technical risks whether a state actor could um, could take it out and and so far, I'm I'm yet to find anything that that really does pose a, a threat to to Bitcoin. As Do you a, mean that as a network on on every dimension? Um, I don't think that regulation mm. poses a threat to Bitcoin. I don't think there's another cryptocurrency that poses a threat to Bitcoin. Just you know, in in, in every step of this journey since since I I've been involved in 2011 and first heard about it a year before, we really haven't seen anything rise and in any meaningful way threaten Bitcoin. So the caveat to that discussion is that it's a, it's a slow evolution. Um, you know, Bitcoin isn't something that's going to become mainstream in, in months or years. I think anybody who was looking at it seriously from the beginning knew that this was going to take decades to happen. But whether it's, it's monetary policy, it's deflationary nature, the Nakamoto consensus uh, mechanism, every dimension you look at it from, I don't know what a threat to Bitcoin would look like at this stage. I know that I sound so like look, a zealot, I mean, my but- reading of this, Simon, because <laughs> my reading of this, Simon, is that Facebook is selling Libra. And and yes, Facebook, don't at us. We know that you're not selling anything, yada, yada. Bottom line is, you know, you brought this to the table. You guys are the central actor in this whole thing. And and uh, you convened the consortium, okay? Granted, you see yourselves as an equal player. And, and everyone at the table at this association as being just as important as a co-founding, you know, as co-founding sort of proponents of this whole idea and principle that you hope to launch next year. All right, so get the, getting that out of the way, I will continue to talk about this in the way I see it. Facebook is running this thing. So Facebook's Libra, to me, the cell, my reading of it at least, is listen, policymakers of the world, listen, society. We see all this amazing stuff that the true cryptocurrency industry, as, as sort of Simon has defined it, it has the potential to deliver the world, but we're also quite startled at some of the, the worrying things that it could deliver and the tax on society allowing for pure decentralization might result in. And therefore, we've looked at this and, and we've we've created a situation that allows us to to bring the best of everything to a table in a way that the status quo can plug into safely and promote and mainstream, more importantly, mainstream quite readily and quite easily and quite quickly relative to, say, something like Bitcoin. So in my mind, that's how I kind of frame the competition here, Simon. Putting all the ideological differences aside, is Facebook's Libra something that could turn what has come before as far as truly decentralized currencies into a really great idea, but impractical. So, you know, side with us, which is kind of what the, the world has been sold as far as how the global economy runs. The thing with Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies is they have this ideology. Yeah? So they are really charged up. The community that are building these sort of networks and, uh, and assets and uh, new types of economies. So I think for me, it's going to take a while. I think I see Facebook 
Facebook's Libra as like a gateway drug, right? So I think it's because it's something that, for example, it's right in your face. How many times do you use WhatsApp in a day? What, what would happen if they added uh, like some token that you could send to your friend for for remittances across borders? You know, it's it's really practical, you know, and it's right in your face and it's working. So I do think in the short term, Facebook's Libra coin does solve some real problems, especially something like remittances, cross-border remittances. I was looking at some statistics of remittances into into Kenya, and uh, over 50% of the remittances come from Europe and North America. So that's somewhere where LibraCoin could fit and, and possibly help reduce the cost of uh, of remittances. And it's it's interesting that uh, about four years ago, when I got into into cryptocurrencies and, and Bitcoin as, a, as an industry and as a culture, this is what Bitcoiners used to say Bitcoin was going to do. You know, they used to talk about... Uh, Bitcoin is going to save the unbanked. Uh, Bitcoin is going to lower remittances. Uh, Bitcoin is going to compete against Western Union. And I mean, it's been like five years and uh, the whole narrative about Bitcoin actually changed from being a, a, a peer-to-peer cash for sending value to being something like like gold that you hold. So I think LibraCoin has done well to try and sneak in between that. And it, it's also a real problem. And I think we're going to see people using it. Yeah. My my philosophical opinions aside, you know. Yeah. But but Libra has and, a problem Simon, that no reckon? other cryptocurrency has in that it is in the direct line of fire of regulators. So Facebook has been told by US authorities to halt all development on Libra while they review the situation. Um, many other regulators around the world have come out, out against the project. Facebook simply can't launch Libra without regulatory approval. And it remains to be seen whether or not they get that and get it in the form that they need it. So f- Libra has a, a stumbling block that Bitcoin doesn't have. But Bitcoin is not exactly the flavor of the month in, you know, say Zimbabwe or even even China, to be honest. No, it's, it's still got a long way to go in terms of adoption. As I said, this is going to take decades, not months or years. But regulators regulators can stop Libra. Regulators can't stop Bitcoin. So I'm going to refer to a very strong statement Michael made in his blog. <laughs> and I quote, Just like the British East India Company used trade as a guise for territorial colonialism, so is Facebook using the poverty trope that has been used and abused by NGOs, white missionaries, and colonials in the past to gain entry into Africa for commercial interests. I find it hard to reconcile a group of American corporations far removed. Well, uh, you've got Naspers up in there, so you've got Africa's biggest um, Africa's biggest tech company to contend with, or I don't know Dutch company, depending how you read their recent listing in uh, in Amsterdam. And Naspers, of course, are involved. Anyway, um, I find it hard to reconcile a group of um, American corporations far removed from the realities of Africans machinating a grand plan on how to save the unbanked women of Africa, especially when you consider their recent history of data privacy breaches and worker exploitation. So I w- I'd like you both to speak to the policymakers listening. Please give them a sense, a sober sense of what's at stake here and what the risks might be if they were to sort of back the Libra Association's plan around the Calibra network. The biggest risk here is we can't let uh, LibraCoin and Facebook be the number one most dominant uh, network in the digital economy of of whether it's East Africa or other African countries. I think we definitely need alternatives because Facebook is a, is a single corporation, you know. Facebook is is a company that could change its its policy, that could change its uh, 
it's it's management overnight, you know, and do we really want to be dependent on that? So I think policymakers... So what's the risk? Is this a risk to our sovereignty? How is this anything but a good thing? I mean, I think of myself and the daylight robbery that ensues every time I send money for cattle vaccines to Zimbabwe. And I'm like, one morning I get up and I can send them a WhatsApp and they can just walk into an agri-mart and, and buy the vaccines. That sounds great to me. Like, make a case for what my blind spot might be, because to me, it's just all upside. Yeah, you know, that that story works and it's great, you know, but policymakers usually have a responsibility to think about things in a broader perspective and in a more long-term perspective, sometimes even in terms of national interest. So while Facebook works, as you said, it works great, you know, uh, sending WhatsApp, sending payments. But if you think about the recent case of Google and Huawei, where because of trade wars, someone was able to pull down a whole ecosystem of, uh, of applications on the Android uh, platform, which happens to serve over 70% of, of African people, of African people who are on, on the smartphone economy. So that's the kind of risk that you're facing, yeah, as, as, as one example, where if you have one dominant player, they potentially have a lot of power and uh, they could pull the rug right under you. You know, this is something we've experienced even in Kenya, where we have a, a, a monopoly in a telecoms business and it's really stifled the, the ecosystem and it's a single point of control. So I think if policymakers are thinking about maybe national interests, uh, they're thinking about uh, promoting domestic markets as an economy, they need to be thinking about uh, policy frameworks that are going to allow not just Facebook's Libra coin to operate, but other types of digital currencies and cryptocurrencies so that people have enough on alternatives and, and the economy isn't too dependent on, on one single uh, service provider. What do you think, Simon? Facebook as a company frightens me um, just in its reach and its, and its, <laughs> and its power. Um, and before Libra. Either. Yeah, before Libra. And, and Libra just makes Facebook potentially even more powerful um, and, and more uncontrollable. Um, and it's not, a, it's not a problem that I have an easy solution for. I, I don't know what the solution is to how we fix Facebook or, or how we um, you know, somehow <laughs> uh, make it less scary. But this is a company that has proven time and time again that it can't be trusted with personal data, that it manipulates its users in, in a way and, and on a scale that we probably haven't seen any organization in, in human history do before. And so I, I worry about the power that Facebook would have if it was able to to take this next big leap into into the financial world. That doesn't mean I think Libra is a bad idea. It doesn't mean that it, it has some positive attributes and, and opportunities. But just having Facebook that dominant in, in the network does concern me, just given Facebook's track record. And you don't feel better knowing that the likes of Visa, MasterCard, Uber, Spotify, or even South Africa's You just named some of the most so evil corporations in the world. So, so no, that doesn't make me feel better. <laughs> so it's just made it worse. That sinking feeling just got worse. Yeah, I mean, you, uh, if there's, you know, Uber culturally, if nothing else, is, is, a, very, is a very problematic company. And, and don't get me started on Visa and MasterCard. So, so no, none of those things allay my fears. Um, but just think about the data that, that Facebook would be able to add to the profile they already have on you. They know your religion. They know your movement. They know your geolocation. They know your political um, uh, you know, leanings. They, they know everything about you. And now they're also going to know where you spend your money, who you send it to, what you spend it on. If there's any way to limit the amount of data that Facebook has on any one individual, I think it's worth doing so. And the irony, of course, is they're selling the fact that, you know, with 
Bitcoin, for instance, as a truly decentralized currency or system or network, the danger is you don't know all that. Yeah, I mean, it, it, without getting too philosophical about it. It's crazy, right? The, light, the times we're living yeah, in. Yeah, it's... Um, you know, let's just say that personally, I, I worry about especially, um, you know, big corporates like Facebook having too much information on me or anybody. Here's my pragmatic take, and I'd like you guys to factor in on this. Um, the fact is we shouldn't be naive to all the factors that influence maintaining market inefficiencies, engineering economic complexity, you know, the sort of complexities that visas and MasterCards and in the case of remittances, Western unions and moneygrams exploit to incredibly good effect. So the fact is many governments on the continent have enabled this dynamic because they've come to rely on lining their coffers with remittance-related revenue to be, you know, remittance-specific. And so I feel like these are some of the more pragmatic considerations that influence policymaking that potentially make Libra, uh, yeah, a soft sell to certain African governments. You know, the idea that this might be far easier to regulate and integrate into existing systems, you know, as far as, you know, levying taxes or preventing illicit activity or money laundering and, you know, that kind of thing. And I, I have a feeling that a lot of our policymakers would, would be evaluating the sort of practical utility of something like Libra and given all the people they have involved as being perhaps a sensible next step, even if they are sold on the on the notion of true decentralization at some point, what do you guys what do you guys think? I think that's true. Uh, practically and on paper, LibraCoin does solve uh, a real problem. And like you mentioned, remittances, which is something a lot of countries are dependent on. Like in in Kenya, I think remittances are up to about $2 billion, you know, that's that's a lot of money. In Nigeria, it's maybe more four, four times more than that, you know. So I do expect personally that uh, we are going to see a favorable policy environment for, for Libra coin. But I think to counter the, the threat of uh, a dominance by by one, one player, we might see perhaps some allowance for other interesting options. So maybe, maybe Opera could do... Uh, a cryptocurrency of their own and use that for cross-border remittances, you know. So we, we might see them also swing to the, towards that side. But on, on a longer-term level, I, I, I was a bit shaken when we started mentioning about taxes, you know, like if, if I'm going to be using Facebook and all of a sudden this information is going to, have, to be available to the taxman, I think in the long term, people are going to be cautious about that, you know, and you might see people actually start moving to to other pseudo-anonymous kinds of uh, cryptocurrencies like like Bitcoin, just because maybe they don't want people knowing what how much they're receiving in terms of remittances or how much they're getting paid. So like I said before, LibraCoin is, is good in the short term, but I do think it's a gateway drug to, to the broader decentralized uh, cryptocurrencies. I don't know what you think about that, Simon. I mean, that plays into what you were saying, Simon, which is um, you see this as, if anything, almost validating the need, the utility, just how much better at being a proper currency Bitcoin might be relative to something like Libra. Well, the 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 one big feature of Libra that we haven't mentioned yet is that it's essentially a stable coin, which means that its price is fixed by a treasury of underlying assets. Um, this is true. And so 
in in that way, Libra will um, overcome one of the big challenges that has stood in the way of of mainstream adoption for for a currency like Bitcoin, in that its price won't be volatile. If if one Libra for 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 sake of argument is worth one dollar today, it'll probably be worth one dollar tomorrow. It won't be wildly fluctuating up and down like Bitcoin is. So that might make it uh, more appealing as a as a medium of exchange. You know, if you look at at the pri- the the volatility and the economic cycle of of Bitcoin, which revolves around halving events every four years, when the rewards given to Bitcoin miners are halved, and the genius that is actually the monetary policy on the Bitcoin network, there are very good reasons for volatility, and there are also reasons why volatility is is, is positive um, in the in, t- in the you know in long term thinking about strategically where the network is going. But for the average for the average person engaging with digital currencies, volatility is scary, and so you know they'll, they'll probably like Libra for that, if if nothing else. Um, when it comes to policymakers and the information they'd be able to get from Libra, um, I, I don't think I know enough to comment there. Uh, obviously, obviously, policymakers like to get as much information as possible, but I don't see anybody using Libra as a serious store of value. Um, you know, I don't see you emptying your bank account into into Libra. Um, and keeping all of your money there. It's more something I think you'll keep a small balance on so that you can pay f- your friends um, predominantly and, and possibly buy some things. So in terms of taxation and uh, and all of the things that come with it, I, I don't think it's it, it's it's necessarily that interesting to policymakers. I've heard speculation that this whole development around Libra is in part fueling the price of Bitcoin at the moment. To what extent is that true? And to what extent... Was this part of an existing cycle that you've come to understand as as being part of just the way things work? So I, I so. think that that Libra was launched at this time that Facebook made a public announcement at the um, beginning of a bull market and not vice versa. So I think Libra was announced because interest was picking up again in cryptocurrency, not the other way around. Um, and if you look at if you look at the 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 market cycle for cryptocurrency. Um, it's 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 finally quite predictable because again it revolves around the Bitcoin halving, um, and Bitcoin is is the tide that raises all boats. It's you know it, it, the other cryptocurrencies just follow Bitcoin into whatever the market is doing, generally speaking. And if you look at the previous uh, halving events on the Bitcoin network, you know we haven't had that many because Bitcoin is only ten years old, and this is something that happens every four years. But the previous two halvings, the the market cycle around them was quite predictable. Um, the market starts to price in the halving event. There's then a, a small correction. The halving happens, and then price starts to pick up, and then eventually you get to a new all-time high. So, given that the next halving is in June next year, June 2020, we fully expected the Bitcoin price to pick up a bit towards the end of 2019. It'll slowly start climbing up from June next year, and by the end of next year or sometime in 2021, we may see a new all-time high. And that's that's a fairly predictable cycle. So. I don't think Libra had anything to do with it. Is it any surprise that, you know, Zimbabwe and certainly Nigeria, I know there are other countries on the continent where sort of Bitcoin fever has hit. Michael, what do you reckon, you know, the state of monetary policy or even fiscal policy within sovereign African geographies is going to contribute to to adoption levels? Whether we're talking Libra or we're talking decentralized, truly decentralized currencies like Bitcoin. I think truly decentralized currencies are a real threat for some of the monetary policies in some countries that maybe suffer 
currency crisis like Zimbabwe. I was just reading an article today where Bitcoin was banned in Zimbabwe, but people are starting to buy a lot of Bitcoin in Zimbabwe because uh, they're losing faith in, the, in their local currency. And this is something that's also been evident in Venezuela. So when I look at Africans and in, in Kenya, for example, I look at people as people. Yeah, like if, if you put people in a room and you light a fire, they're going to rush for the door. So people are, they know how to react to, <laughs> everyone is going to rush to the door, you know, so people. No one's going to sit around and get burned. Exactly, you know, like like human beings know how to make uh, decisions when, when when maybe their wealth is under threat. Yeah, so yeah. so I do look at at countries that might might uh, might have some some questionable monetary policies, they, they, sh- they should definitely be looking at how the emergence of these currencies like Libra and, and Bitcoin, how, how it could affect the economy. Ultimately, the central banks are usually interested in, in controlling the amount of money that's, that's floating within the economy. So they would mostly be interested in the gateways, yeah, like at the points where people are converting from M-Pesa to Libra or maybe people are converting from bank accounts to Libra. So in that sense, Libra is is a good safe bet because Libra is not going to try it's 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 working already with 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 payment gateways like Mastercard yeah so so the central bank will have a will have an eye on how much money is flowing in and out of Libra but but, but with something like Bitcoin it's completely different yeah because I don't need to go and buy Bitcoin from from a from a gateway like Mastercard you know I can just buy from another friend so they pose a much different risk because it's possible that uh, the central bank wouldn't be able to track how much money is moving in and out of of Bitcoin. So I'm really worried for some African countries like Nigeria and Zimbabwe or even Uganda if people start switching on to, wow, I can store my value in this other thing and not necessarily my own currency, you know? I have this pragmatic view again that I'd like to test on you guys, which is I worry for... Uh, VC-backed plays in the sort of digital money space that are not nearly as well-resourced as as what the Libra Association or what Libra is going to be. I suppose to some extent, many of them leverage the macro wave of adoption around Bitcoin, for instance. Um, but I still worry that, one, they're not in a position to compete with Libra. Should Facebook and co. decide to come for, I don't know, peer-to-peer a la Paxful, for example, or, you know, some of the projects that I know, for example, Michael, you and your associates might be working on or any number of the things that, you know, Simon, you guys are working on. Um, this is speaking as an outsider who isn't living this day to day. Am I blind to the to the sheer potential of or the ingenuity of, of, of people like you guys who are dodging and weaving in the space while these big sort of slow incumbents, Facebook included, you know, ironically, I could include as part of this are are, are making these big plays or maybe my perception needs to be shifted to there's enough room for everybody and I'm thinking too small. What do you reckon, Simon? Yeah, I mean, there's uh, all of the work we do is predominantly with Bitcoin and and again, I don't see Libra as threatening any of it. Um, In the payment space, I think you're right. There'll be a lot of players and Facebook will be one of them. Um, You know, Apple's going to be one of them. Uh, Google's going to be one of them in time. Samsung already is. Um, so I think I think it's going to get interesting. Uh, the the one thing that does set Libra apart from you know WeChat Wallet and, and others is that it's not necessarily owned by Facebook, and the tokens that will be available on the network will be 
portable off network. So you'll be able to log into a cryptocurrency exchange um, and send Libra there and exchange it for Bitcoin or other things. Of course, all of this supposes that Facebook gets regulators on board and actually manages to launch this thing next year when mm. they intend to. Um, so that, that makes it a lot more interesting than something like Compesa, for example, which is not very easy to get into other currencies. And um, as a medium of exchange, you know, Libra, uh, I, I certainly see it becoming quite a dominant force to be reckoned with. Um, but I could say the same for Bitcoin's Lightning Network, which I think is going to become a major player in time. And, and for, for many other countries, cu currencies that are vying for the space, I certainly don't know any of my Chinese friends who are planning to abandon WeChat for Facebook to begin with. And Libra doesn't change anything for them. So, yeah, it, it, I, I kind of am just sitting here with my popcorn waiting to see how, how regulators assemble around this thing and, and, and how it impacts the market. Yeah. Michael, how are you approaching this? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. He mentioned about the Chinese and I've been thinking, I was sitting here thinking, wow, if if Facebook is going to do a euro-backed or dollar-backed Libra coin, then someone probably needs to do one for uh, for the Chinese, you know, like a, like a yuan-backed digital currency. So I'm reliably also, informed that the Chinese are on it. <laughs> 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 no, genuinely. So, and, yeah. Yes. That's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I think uh, we are definitely going to see options. I mean, it's if, if Facebook is gonna do this, we might see some some maybe some Chinese consortium or some Chinese related companies possibly do this. I mean, if you look if you look at the continent right now, we have we have a lot of Chinese companies in some form or the other. Like like Opera, Opera is 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 owned by partly by the Chinese. Uh, if you look at the phone companies like Transion, if you look at Boomplay. Which is a content service. It's also partly owned by the Chinese. Uh, if you look at a lot of the smartphones that we use, and one thing about cryptocurrencies and digital currencies is they really work well with like hardware and and smartphones. So who knows? Maybe we might see a digital currency that runs on a on a techno phone and you can use to buy music on Boomplay or something like that. Um, so it's 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 very interesting. I think we're going to see a mix of 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 different digital currencies and cryptocurrencies and different models, you know? Well, I assume I'm sitting on a billion dollars that is earmarked for the crypto space, digital money, etc. That was quite specific, Andile. Is there something you want to tell us? Well, um, this is our last show. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Peace out. <laughs> I love you, but not enough. <laughs> no, on the real, I, I do not have a billion dollars, and, and this is a totally hypothetical situation. Um, so I have a billion dollars. It is earmarked for the space, and I'm about to hire both of you to help me decide what to put it in. And more importantly, as far as the question I want to frame right now, what not to put it in, given Libra, given everything you've come to understand about Bitcoin and other sort of decentralized currencies, given everything we've discussed about the macro issues or regulatory issues, the realities, the market realities of different markets on the continent and their readiness or lack thereof to adopt um, digital money, Libra, Bitcoin, or what have you. So in this context, what are you absolutely certain you are not going to advise me to do with my billion dollars right this second? Sure, the the list of things you you shouldn't touch is an extremely long or long one. So I'll 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 keep it short and just say that if if I had to put a billion dollars into cryptocurrency today, almost every cent of it would go into Bitcoin. Um, I might buy a little bit of Ethereum just because there's a lot of interesting things happening. 
um, on Ethereum if you if you consider it as a programmable store of value. Um, and what's happening with organizations like Consensus and MakerDAO and all of the very interesting things that are being built uh, on Ethereum. Not a single one of them has appealed to the mainstream yet. So Ethereum doesn't have its killer app yet. There's just so much good work being done by so many good people that something will likely come of it eventually. But would you, um, but that more specifically, would you, like, would, you, would you do like a peer-to-peer play? Would you spread it? Would you, what would you do specifically no. in the space? Would you buy the actual currency and hold? What would you do? Yeah, I would buy I would buy Bitcoin and I would and I would stick it on my uh, on my hardware wallet. <laughs> That's what I do. That's pretty much all the money. So you wouldn't right back a, a um, specific sort of play or trend within the space. Uh, uh, oh hell no, no. There's I mean Bitcoin, Bitcoin, and again I you know I sound like a, a maximalist, but I really do look at a lot of projects. I've read hundreds of white papers from Tezos to Tron to EOS to you name it. I. You know, it's it's, it's and, now and, and I look to be proven wrong, and I <laughs> and I and yeah, and and I look for things that that could uh, that could be interesting. And there are a lot of great projects out there. I'm not I'm not saying that um, there isn't good work being done, or that none of them are, are worthy of your attention. It's just that none of them have proven themselves. Bitcoin is the only one that's proven itself in any meaningful way. Okay. I mean, we've literally got bankers resigning from their job and walking out of the building holding bags that say Bitcoin on them. You know, it's it's clear where the institutional money's going. Um, there's reason to believe that there are state actors that are, have already been stockpiling Bitcoin. When you look at companies like Starbucks and Microsoft, the consortium around BACT, which is owned by Intercontinental Exchange, which owns the New York Stock Exchange. When players at that level talk about cryptocurrency, they're talking about Bitcoin. It's literally, for those guys, it's the only game in town. So that's just reality for me yeah I, that's where i would put my money that's that's where all the action is michael kimani so i think what for am, me what am i doing with my and what am i not doing with my billion dollars what you're not doing with your, is, is put it all in bitcoin <laughs> I, I think simon <laughs> <laughs> finally we disagree on something seriously i think simon you say you're not a maximalist but everything i'm picking up about you is all the signs of a, of a bitcoin maximalist so you definitely uh, <laughs> Shots fired. I wouldn't. <laughs> no, that, that's fine. Uh, you know, you could describe me as such, but tell me why I'm wrong. No, you're, you're not wrong. I think what I've seen in this industry is uh, everyone has their different perspectives because we we all have uh, like different ideologies or we all even spend different times looking at different projects. So um, I, I think I'll definitely put some money into Bitcoin, but not all of it. Maybe a small amount. Uh, I'd invest in something like... Uh, like a Bitcoin vault service, you know, like a service to help people store their Bitcoin safely. I think that's something that's much required for for mainstream adoption uh, or even for 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 services built around uh, around Bitcoin. I'll definitely invest in an exchange as well. I think the exchange business is important and it's becoming more important for 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 even the new currencies like Libra. It's going to be important also for for the cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and the services that get built around that. I think another cryptocurrency that put my money is EOS. Uh, I know Simon disagrees with that. He says he's obviously. Oh. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a big fan of EOS actually, and it's a community I've spent a lot of time in. I've, I've worked a lot of projects in that space, so I definitely put my money in EOS. And I think I'd, I'd almost definitely invest in the company I'm working with, which is called ZP. <laughs> Andile, I'd advise you to invest in Zili, so ZP. So if you're sitting on a, <laughs> on a couple of million dollars, uh, you should definitely hey, but, look billion, at bro. us. B, fix that. Fix that M, please. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so. Okay. Yeah. 
So you'd, you, I mean, my pushback would be that that startups fail. Most of them do. <laughs> um, that EOS is an interesting project, but it's yet to have anything around mainstream adoption. Go to your parents and ask them if they've heard of EOS, and then ask them if they've heard of Bitcoin. <laughs> and I'll be waiting here for their answers. <laughs> and so. For me, it's just a shortcut. Just buy Bitcoin. There you go. <laughs> wow, you guys. Sure. This has been such a treat. Just listening to you guys chop it up. Um, I couldn't feel more satisfied with the conversation we've had around the implications of whether Facebook's Libra is good for Africa or not. I think we've had a, a really nuanced discussion. I suppose one thing remains as far as closing out the show. It's a very simple question that I opened the show with. Will Facebook's digital money Libra be good for Africa? Yes or no? Starting with you, Michael Kimani, it's a simple yay or nay? Nay. It's a strong (laughs) nay. What say you, Simon Dingle? I'm not allowed to say maybe, but it's all I can say. Simon, Simon, that is not even an option right here. Okay, fine. I'll be optimistic, yes. Okay. (laughs) And I like that we have two uh, divergent views. I'll permit myself the maybe. (laughs) How about that? Uh, Uh, See what you did there. You see what I did there? So we have, uh, I think that pretty much fairly represents the opportunity here, or frankly, the danger here. Everything we need to apply our minds to thinking about more deeply as we sort of navigate Africa's digital future. And I think that just sums up how we like to think about things here in a nuanced uh, fashion that um, chucks the oversimplification overboard. So uh, I just want to thank you both for being on the show. I do want to remind uh, everyone listening right now that we'd love to hear what you think of this very specific question. Will Facebook's digital money, Libra, be good for Africa? We'd like you to factor in. Give us a shout on Twitter or Instagram at African Roundup is where you can find us. Facebook.com forward slash African Tech Roundup or drop us an email via hello at africantechroundup.com. Otherwise, just one last time, I want to thank my guests here today, Michael Kimani. Thanks for having us. Uh, again, Thank you so much for for bringing your blockchain catalyst, crypto analyst, strong opinions, views, my own, why so serious self to the show. Thank you. Um, Simon Dingle, as always, thank you for bringing (laughs) your unique brand of candor to our show. It's always a pleasure. And I wish you both really well with everything you're working on the businesses you consult to, the startups you're backing, as as we all sort of navigate this um, digital money-led future, which no doubt Bitcoin and now Libra, I think it's fair to say, are headlining quite vigorously. And so guys, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you all for listening. My name is Andy Lemasugu. Take it easy, Africa. Africa.